This is Jonathan Galassi from FSG, and I'm going to talk a little bit about FSG's poetry program, its history, and how it's central to what we are as a publishing house. Ferris, Strauss, and Giroux was founded in 1946 by Roger Strauss with John Farrer, who was a famous editor from another generation whom Roger brought along to give credibility to his desire to be a publisher. And they struggled along. I'm Jonathan Galassi, and this is Wellversed. Ups and downs for about 10 years until Roger got Bob Giroux from Harcourt Brace to come join the new company, which eventually became not Farrer and Strauss, but Farrer, Strauss, and Giroux. There were a few other names of partners in between Farrer, Strauss, and Young, Farrer, Strauss, and Cudahy. But when Bob joined after a few years, it became FSG, and that name stuck. And Bob brought with him, he had had a very long and distinguished career as an editor at Harcourt Brace. Robert Lowell, Elizabeth Bishop, he didn't bring them with him. They all joined him eventually. And last but not least, T.S. Eliot, whose editor he had been at Harcourt, and who told Bob that he would follow him wherever he went. This was in the mid-50s, symbolically anyway. It was very important to this fledgling company to have probably the most famous poet in the world join their list. T.S. Eliot had been an early editor at and eventually the driving force editorially at Faber and Faber, which was about a quarter of a century older than FSG. But Eliot set the tone at Faber. He published not only himself, but his friends Ezra Pound, Marianne Moore, W.H. Auden, and others. And therefore, poetry was always central to what Faber was and is, and it continues to be that way today. And I think that Bob and Roger with him took a page from that book, and poetry was and always has been central to what FSG is. And I think that in some ways, FSG is a kind of cousin of Faber. We've always had a very close relationship, particularly in the poetry area. And many of our poets are published by them and vice versa. That core has been central to who FSG has been. And I think that it's a true thing to say that publishing houses are a reflection, by and large, of the editorial input of key figures. Bob Giroux was certainly the most important editor of the founding period of FSG. The the writers I mentioned, people like Flannery O'Connor, also helped to set the tone. 
of what kind of literary publishing house we would become. We published uh, John Berryman, who was uh, Bob's closest friend from college. We published Lowell. We eventually published Elizabeth Bishop. We took on the estate of Randall Jarrell, who had been a great friend of Lowell. And we didn't publish him in his lifetime, but we did publish him later on. Just as in recent years, we have taken over the publication of T.S. Eliot's poetry in certain editions, the Christopher Ricks edition we published a couple of years ago. I'd like to think that Bob is not rolling over in his grave, but sitting up in his grave and applauding because Eliot was such an important figure in his life. April is the cruelest month, breeding lilacs out of the dead land, mixing memory and desire, stirring dull roots with spring rain. The uh, 60s and 70s were a very creative and heady time at FSG, and Lowell was at that time the dominant figure in a certain kind of poetry anyway. If you asked the Beats about Lowell, they would say that he was an academic fuddy-duddy, and he would say that they were off the charts, that they weren't serious. There were two cultures in American literature for, for a long time, but to the general public, Robert Lowell was really the dominant figure of his generation, and John Berryman was like his bad brother, that And the two of them were very uh, competitive and close. I think uh, Lowell said at one time, John is your best friend, but it's better to have him living in another city. Of course, it was a very troubled generation. They all died young. Uh, Lowell had terrible bipolar disorder, really crippling, and he struggled with that all his life. Caveman, Henry. Grumbled to his spouse, it's cold in here. I'd rather have a house. A house would be better. We've just published a book called The Dolphin Letters, uh, edited by Saskia Hamilton, which is about Lowell's book, The Dolphin, which recounts his leaving his wife, Elizabeth Hardwick, and taking up with Caroline Blackwood, an English aristocrat writer, and the infamous exchange of letters between them. He used Hardwick's letters in The Dolphin and changed them, and this was a matter of great outrage. And Sosky has put together this book, which shows the whole story. It's really a great dissection of a fundamental moment in American literary history. Nautilus Island's hermit heiress still lives through winter in her Spartan cottage. Her sheep still grazed above the sea. Her son's a bishop. Her farmer's first selectman in our village. She's in her dotage. Thirsting for the hierarchy. Elizabeth Bishop was a very close friend of Lowell's. Probably they were each other's most important literary relationship, and they were extremely close personally as well. Bishop lived under Lowell's shadow in many ways in their lifetimes. What's happened in the posthumous 
lives of these writers is that Elizabeth Bishop's star has risen greatly and Lowell's has not in in the last 30 years. And we've we've published an awful lot of wonderful books by and about Elizabeth Bishop, including one called Edgar Allan Poe and the Jukebox, uh, edited by Alice Quinn, which is rather an anthology of unfinished poems and drafts that uh, Bishop left, some of them very revealing. They tell you a huge amount about her process, about her personal feelings. She was a much more reserved writer in terms of what she thought and felt. And this dichotomy has been explored in, in great depth in many ways in the last 30 years. It's been very controversial. Some people said that we shouldn't be publishing work that a bishop left, although she specifically left that up to her literary executors to decide. I think it's exploded our understanding of this major figure and made the whole era really much more interesting. Bishop was uh, homosexual. She was also an alcoholic. She had a very tragic upbringing. All these things play into her work in different registers. She has become one of the most beloved and influential writers of mid-century America much more so than she was in her lifetime. She was very honored, but understood in different ways. Those figures, we had Berryman's centenary uh, a few years ago, and we republished his work. We've been republishing Lowell in various ways. We have his uh, collected prose coming out in the next year. We published the correspondence between Bishop and Lowell called uh, Words in Air about seven or eight years ago, which which was an incredible revelation. We're publishing Bishop's journals. We're publishing her correspondence with the poet Mae Swenson. There's much more to come. Uh, we're publishing a biography of Bishop by Langdon Hammer of Yale that I th- think is going to be Absolutely great. So these core writers remain active presences in in what we're doing. Lowell was very influential with Bob, and he recommended some younger writers uh, to him who sort of were the second Giroud generation. And... They included Seamus Heaney, Derek Walcott, Tom Gunn, Philip Larkin, Ted Hughes, and Joseph Brodsky. Most of these authors were Faber authors, and they have been very, very significant in the history of FSG. Heaney, Walcott, and Brodsky all won the Nobel Prize, sort of one, two, three in the 70s and early 80s. And they were kind of the three tenors of a certain kind of poetry in that period. Among the highlights uh, were Seamus Heaney's translation of Beowulf, which was a New York Times bestseller. Derek Walcott's Omeros, which is one of the most ambitious 
epic poems of, of the 20th century. Joseph Brodsky's uh, translations of his own poetry and his essays were actually republishing a lot of Brodsky this year to mark 20 years of uh, since his passing. Tom Gunn was a, an English poet who moved to California and had a had a very significant career. He was rather academic in certain ways, uh, stylistically, but personally, he practiced a kind of California hedonism. That comparison of the 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 way they rubbed up against each other was extremely productive and interesting. Ted Hughes, we we commissioned Ted to do Tales from Ovid, which is one of his great late books, and that was extremely fun to do. Philip Larkin is someone who has loomed very large in the late 20th, early 21st century uh, as one of the the major lyric voices uh, of the period, a very disabused, difficult figure, but absolutely irreplaceable. I was late getting away. Not till about one twenty on the sunlit Saturday did my three-quarters empty train pull out. All windows down, all cushions hot, all sense of being in a hurry gone. Other figures uh, have played a, a big role at FSG. Michael DiCapua was an editor who, he was a children's, he still is a children's editor and an editor of uh, fiction and poetry. And one of the authors he brought to FSG uh, when he was still here was James Schuyler, who is the was the first of the New York school poets to be part of FSG. He's really a, a very uh, great, quiet, subtle poet. Uh, Elizabeth Bishop really loved his poetry. And uh, we were very lucky to publish him. We later took on all his work and were, uh, were working on a biography of Schuyler also. Later on, when uh, Elizabeth Sifton was at FSG, she recently died, unfortunately. She brought uh, her longtime author, John Ashbery, who was another one of the New York school we published him for about a decade, which was really uh, exciting. He uh, made a big impact on our work. Later on, we took on a whole new, younger generation of American poets, including Charles Wright, Frederick Seidel, C.K. Williams, Frank Bedart, who was a very close uh, associate of Lowell's, uh, Carl Phillips, and eventually Louise Glick, who is one of our most uh, distinguished current poets. Then there's been Larry Joseph, Robert Pinsky. We republished Mina Loy, who was a, an early modernist poet. August Kleinzoller, poet from New Jersey slash San Francisco. We took on the work of John Cady. Uh, and published his collected poems recently. Paul Muldoon is a very important part of our list. He came in really through uh, Seamus Heaney, his mentor, and uh, is one of the stars of our current list. We've published a lot of uh, translations. 
of poets, including Yehuda Amichai, the Russian poet Alexander Kushner, who was kind of Brodsky's counterpart, Italian poets, including Montale, Quasimodo, Ungoretti, Leopardi, Pasolini. We've published translations of Petrarch, Horace, Virgil, the Gilgamesh epic by David Ferry. And now today we're publishing uh, a whole crowd of, of newer poets, uh, Rowan Ricardo Phillips, Aishan Hutchinson, Angie Malenko, Avril Curdy, and many more. We're still at it. Uh, we're opening up our list in many different directions because that's what is happening with the culture. But that is the history, a little bit of the history of how we got started, what the core of our list has been. Actually, next year is our 75th anniversary and we're publishing a poetry anthology that will show the range and uh, depth of what we've been trying to do in poetry. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Jonathan Galassi, and this is Well Versed. <laughs>